Hi friends, well I think it's time for another podcast and um, I want to spend a little bit of time today talking about something that's been on my mind recently. It's taken from uh, one of the scriptures, uh, John's Gospel, where Jesus is, is speaking to his disciples and he says to them, this is John 14, Do not let your hearts be troubled. I think there are a lot of things that can happen to us in life that cause us to have a troubled heart. And the trouble with a troubled heart is that it troubles us in ways that other things don't because a troubled heart goes to the very centre of, of who we are as, as people. When, when you look at the scriptures, it, it's clear that that the heart, that is not the physical heart, obviously, that's pumping blood around our bodies, but the heart of a person is is truly uh, our life source. And so if we're living with with a heart that's troubled, then we really are in trouble. And we ought to consider how we can change that and what we can do about that to to move from the place of having a troubled heart to, well, I guess we could say a soothed heart or a healthy heart, a, a, a good heart. Because lots of things can encroach upon us in life that, that cause us to feel troubled. Circumstances, a situation in which we live, look around the world and we can be troubled look on our own nation and we we can we can be troubled we can feel a trouble over our work our, our homes our families our, our relationships and we know only too well that that if our heart is troubled we we really aren't at our best it's definitely something which stops us from flourishing it's something that prevents us from attaining our potential it's it robs us of joy and, and any sense of true peace. And and if we're robbed of joy, if we're robbed of peace, then, then what really do we have in life to give us any sense of stability and uncertainty and, and, and security? I, I got to thinking about this for a few reasons. One is just the verse itself. Jesus says to his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. He, he says it because he knows that our hearts can be. He says it because he understands the circumstances of his disciples and what they have faced and what indeed they're, they're going to face. These words come towards the end of Jesus's life and, and ministry. And, and so he, he wants to give an assertion to them. He wants to speak clearly and say, do not let your hearts be troubled. Now, you can't just throw that out as a statement, you know, you, you can't just give comments like that as if the comment itself is the end of the issue, you know, like having some sort of um, mantra or confession that if we say it long enough, then all of a sudden, mysteriously or indeed miraculously, it's going to come true. No, life doesn't work like that. We all know that. We've been around too long to know that that's the truth. That's not the truth. So he can't just be saying this sort of out of context or without any frame of reference. And, and I think it's important that we grasp that and we think about that. But 
But let's think about what some of the sources of trouble are for, for us, Sammy. We, we can face trouble in the face of uncertainty. That can be a source of trouble. When you are looking past today and thinking, what does tomorrow bring? Or indeed, the next week or month or year or, or whatever. And we cast our eye over the future and, and we see the levels of uncertainty that are in that future. And that can cause us to live our lives with trouble. And with trouble comes fear and insecurity and all those things. So we, we can feel trouble in the face of uncertainty. We, we can certainly feel trouble in the face of insecurity. If we don't feel like we're, we're living from a, a stable or a strong base, if there's insecurity around our life, whether that's to do with um, our work or our education, our relationships, Maybe we're just setting out on a new journey to do with prospects regarding the future. And we're, we're riddled with insecurity over that. And, and that can cause our hearts to be troubled. And then, as I think about it, there's, you know, trouble in the face of complexity. Uh, we look at the complexity surrounding our life, our circumstances, the things that we feel need to come together to make something happen in a particular way. And we see the complexities tied in and around that. And that can cause also our hearts to feel and, and to be troubled. And you know what that's like for yourself. And I'm sure you know you've sat down many times with other people, friends, family, whoever they may be. And... And you can see trouble in that person's life. You can see it on their face. You look in their eyes, you can see it in their eyes. And you listen to their stories and you, you, can, you can hear trouble in their voice. And it's a troubled soul, a troubled person. And maybe, like we say, you've, you've been in that situation yourself. Do not let your hearts be troubled, Jesus said. So what did he mean? What does that mean for us? I mean, is there any relevance in a statement like that taken some 2,000 years ago? And how do we give them any level of application into our lives? So I was getting to think about this, and then it took me back to a book that I read, oh, many years ago now, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, maybe longer than that. It's, it's a book by Rob Bell, um, and the book's called Sex God, and it's an interesting book. And... And towards the end, he gives um, he, he gives a, a breakdown, a commentary, if you like, on on these words out of John chapter fourteen. Let let me read the words first, and then I'm, I'm going to take a few minutes just to read this commentary out. He says, "Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you." And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. The words of Jesus. The fascinating thing with the scriptures is that they reveal so much more when you get an inside take on the context and the culture and the history of, of, of what's been spoken there. And... Uh, Bell, he, he offers um, 
a fascinating, I think, a fascinating insight into these uh, these few verses that I'm going to read out because I think it's it's worth the time to read them. He says, in the first century, generally a young woman would be married um, in her early teens. It would become known that she was of age and her father would entertain others from the fathers of young men who were interested in marrying her. If the fathers agreed on the terms of the marriage, there would be a celebration to honour the couple and announce their engagement. At this celebration, the groom would offer the young girl a cup of wine to drink. But she doesn't have to drink it. She can reject the cup. She can say no to his offer of marriage. Even though everything has already been arranged, she can still say no. It's up to her. Can you imagine the pressure on the young chap? Here is everybody you love the most, friends and parents and relatives gathered in a room watching to see if she will accept the cup. If she says yes, the groom gives a sort of prepared speech about their future together. Because if she takes the cup and drinks from it, that only means that they are engaged. They aren't married yet. Something still has to happen. Or to be more precise, something has to be built. If she says yes, then the groom goes home and begins building an addition onto his family's home. This is where he and his bride will start their new family together. And so he works and works and works, building a place where they can call home. And here's the interesting part. He doesn't know when it's going to be finished. Because he doesn't have the final say on whether it's ready. That is his father's decision. And so his father periodically inspects his work, looking to see if the quality of what the son is building properly honours the future bride. The father has considerations as well. If he has many sons and they've all built additions, then his house is getting quite large. There are many rooms in it. This was called the insula, a large multi-family dwelling. If the father had built his addition onto his father's house, then by now several generations later, this is a large dwelling with rooms for a lot of people. Back to the story. The future bride is at home, learning how to run a household. She also doesn't know when the work will be done, so she's preparing herself for a date that's coming. She just doesn't know when. And then the day comes. The father inspects and tells the son that it's time. So the son gets his friends and they set out for her house to get her. But how will he know what room is hers? He'll know because she has filled her lamp with oil each night and set it in the window so that when he comes, he'll know which room is hers. And so he goes to get her. And they gather their friends and family and there's a giant procession back to the house where the party starts. And so when she takes the glass of wine at their engagement party and drinks from it, the groom says to her, My father's house has plenty of room. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, so that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? This is the speech that Jesus gives to his disciples in John chapter 14. You see, when Jesus wants to assure his followers that they're going to be okay, that their future is secure, that they shouldn't let their hearts be troubled, he uses the wedding metaphor. They would have known exactly what he was talking about. 
they would have heard the groom's speech growing up. The ones who were married would have given it to their brides and they all would have taken part in numerous wedding celebrations. To describe heaven, Jesus uses an event that, had all, that they'd all experienced and basically says heaven is a bit like that. Which is a fascinating insight into these few verses that we've just looked at together. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Why, why not? Because I'm taking care of things. Why not? Because I've got things under control. Why not? Because I'm preparing a place for you. I have things in hand. And so the appeal of Jesus to his followers is this. You trust in God? Trust also in me. You see, the antidote to a troubled heart is a life of trust. It's putting our faith and our confidence in the one who is preparing things, if you like, in advance. Who's got things under control. Oh yeah, there are many reasons why we can have a troubled heart, that's for sure. And you know what? You should never underestimate what that means and how that impacts you. Never belittle your troubles, as if to say, oh, it doesn't matter, or flippantly, I don't care, or I'm on top of it. Never lie to yourself about the challenges that you face. Be truthful, be honest, be open, and where you can be vulnerable. But don't stop there. That's the story that we're reading here. Don't stop there because God is working in advance. He's going ahead of us to prepare something. Now, of course, that's all set within the grandiose scheme of God's intention for eternal blessing. And why not? Let's take that. Let's embrace it. Let's hold it with a full and an open heart. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing. But today, what does that look like? For you and for me now, living with the troubles that we face in the uncertain world in which we live, how do we go about our life? How do we go about our business? Well, we need to think about what we're doing with our heart. If our heart is troubled, well, yes, we need to set our troubles in the context of an eternal story, which God in invites us to enter into and that's the story that we've just read and considered and thought about but in terms of the actions and the activity of our life on a day-by-day -day basis what does that mean for us well it means three things I think sometimes you have to guard your heart sometimes you have to gauge the situation that you're in and other times you have to give yourself completely. And those three responses call for something and that something is wisdom. Because if we give our hearts in a situation where we should be guarded them, then we are just bringing more trouble upon ourselves. And if we're gauging our hearts, holding back with some degree of reservation in a situation where we should be completely giving our hearts, then we're gonna miss out on what is the best in that situation, relationship, whatever that might be. And so we need to have some measure of understanding 
as to what this looks like and what this means for us. The Bible says in Proverbs, it's Proverbs and chapter 4, it says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. One of the antidotes to a troubled heart is developing a guarded heart, knowing that you are protecting the very soul and the very essence of who you are as a person. Because if we don't do that, then everything that flows from us carries some level of corruption, it carries some level of pain, it, it carries some, some wounds. And so we, we need to learn how to put a guard over our hearts in order to protect ourselves. And having a guard over your heart is, is about knowing when to give and when not to, when to hold back. It's, it's stepping forward in a way that allows us to understand toxicity in a, in a relationship, it allows us to see where there are hidden dangers that can come out to grab us and do us harm and damage. So we need to learn how to guard our hearts and this comes first you know especially if you're stepping out into a relationship or something like that then you need to start that position from the place of being guarded that's a good place to start guard your heart in that situation let that other person earn your trust and your respect you don't have to give somebody your trust right at the beginning let them earn it earn that trust from you and see where things go from there we need to guard our hearts we need to gauge our response you know sometimes the response needs to be full in total here we go abandonment uh, and and other times we we need to to gauge what our response is okay i'm i'm going to give something of myself into that situation but then I'm going to observe. I'm going to observe what that person does with what I've offered. I'm going to observe what happens in that workplace as a result of that decision that I've been that I've made. And so I'm going to make a measured response. And in giving that measured response, I'm going to observe and see what happens. And sometimes you'll think, wow, that's great. I'm really glad that I gave a gauged response there because I'm not going any further. And other times you're going to say, no, I don't, I've given a gauged response there and it was really well received. I feel really comfortable. Um, I feel really positive about moving forward and we take another step forward. And a gauged response is the right response. However, there comes the time where in total abandonment, we need to give ourselves. Of course, we need to give ourselves to God. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. One of the great things about the scriptures, one of the great things about the journey of faith is that we step deeper into the mystery of wonder of Christ and, and embrace his love and grace around our hearts and around our lives and it soothes our troubles away 
And so there's great beauty in that. And so we can give ourselves with that real sense of abandonment because we know that Jesus Christ came and gave himself without abandonment for you and I. And so there comes the time where we need to give our hearts. And that's not true only about faith, but it's true about many situations in life and particularly about those relationships which are our nearest and our dearest, where we give ourselves sacrificially and openly and honestly and vulnerably to one another. We come to a place where we truly give our hearts. And I think in doing that, what we discover is something of the medicine that we can have for a troubled heart. When we face our uncertainties and our insecurities and our complexities and we're not sure what to do and where to go and to who to turn, they can bring all sorts of troubles into our lives. But if we face the troubled heart and the issue or issues that are causing us to feel that sense of trouble, and if we face those situations from this threefold perspective of guarding, gauging, and giving, what we can do is with wisdom step ahead in our life with a confidence that is saying, in that situation, I made the right and the best response. Now, let's face it, we've all made responses that have been inappropriate or wrong, that have led to pain and heartbreak and all those sorts of things. And we have to take those and we have to allow them to become learning experiences for us. So that next time, when we're faced with a similar situation, we look at it and we say, aha, this is what I did last time. This time, I'm going to make a different response. I'm going to take a different approach because the most important thing that you and I can do is to make sure we put a guard on and over our hearts because when we do that, we know that we are securing our position. We are building that sense of flourishing, that sense of security in our lives. Here's another verse, this time um, from one of the letters that Paul wrote, and he said, do not be anxious about anything, which I guess is the same as Jesus saying, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so may you and I, may we find medicine for a troubled heart, particularly when we live in troubled times and we see so much anxiety and stress and worry and fear around and about us. May the words of Christ come true. Do not let your hearts be troubled. May they come true because we find that place of putting our trust and our hope in a loving, gracious God. 
and may we learn the power of giving our lives over to God in prayer in each and every situation so that we will live in this truth of the peace of God transcending all understanding and putting a guard over our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. So, just a simple meditation and thought on medicine for a troubled heart. I trust that you, along with I, with me, will be able to, to grasp something of that and, and live in it from the position of experiencing the peace and the security and the goodness that God wants to give to each and every one of us. And so, until the next podcast, I trust, my good friends, that grace and peace will be with you.